0: Welcome to the second of our podcasts from the Ormo Baths here in Belfast, where we interview entrepreneurs to get their views on starting and growing successful businesses. I'm your host, Simon Ross, and my guest on this show is Tristan Watson. Tristan is a really interesting guy and the managing director of Startup Specialist Ignite, who are currently responsible for a lot of the buzz that's happening in and around Ormo Baths. You'll probably hear some of that buzz in the background of this recording. Right now, Ignite are taking 20 really early stage startup teams through the Propel Pre-Accelerator program and 10 more slightly advanced startups through the Ignite NI Accelerator. I started off by asking Tristan how he got into the startup world in the first place.
1: I think, like most people in this industry, uh, it was a complete accident. I fell into it. I (laughs) I studied psychology at at university, I actually spent most of my time kind of running a bar and putting on events, got into event management and uh, event production after that. And um, after a few years working for a company, I went freelance and uh, stumbled into um, a business uh, selling bits of Apple Mac computers online. Basically, my my, uh, then girlfriend, now wife's uh, Apple laptop had died and I was going to chuck it out. And she said, look, I think we could make 30 quid on eBay by selling this. And then I realized I could make 150 quid by taking it to pieces and selling all the individual bits on eBay. Ah, And so I started a business called the Mac Scrapyard where I could buy broken Macs on eBay for between 30 and 50 quid. When they arrived take them to pieces list all the individual bits online and then post them out afterwards and this was this was literally this was my first business it was my first experience in selling online in e-commerce and it was amazing to be making money whilst you slept you know this was, <laughs> this was fantastic and um i get the sense of how you describe it. it's the sort of thing steve was would probably have uh, you know, <laughs> approved of. I, I hope so you know i i haven't uh, i haven't asked him but yeah there was, there was definitely a sort of a, a bit of a hacky sort of element to this you know it was it wasn't a sort of polished business, it was being built on top of eBay, but actually it was something that quite quickly was making more money than doing freelance kind of event work. My, and my. so kind of moved into that. And then I started to get really interested in, um, actually, what, what else could you be selling online? Are there, um, are there ways that you could sell things online without having to handle the physical products? Could you build a marketplace where you're helping other people sell uh, what's, um, what they've got? and? So I started looking through lots of different industries, trying to see what could work. I, I originally thought I could do this with broken computers, but it turns out that asking people to uh, disassemble highly sensitive kind of electronic devices <laughs> themselves isn't necessarily a great idea. Um, and I ended up stumbling into food, artisan food, and um, uh, really, really great kind of producers out there, I think in the last sort of 10, 15 years, we've seen a real renaissance of this kind yeah, of across the country now. And yet, uh, most people's uh, area of expertise is not buying. It's not sorry. It's not selling online. You know, they're really good at making products. They're really good at getting down the farmers' market and selling it to people face to face. But they have a website, and no one would ever find it. Mm. No one would ever order from it. So basically, built an online farmers' market that would bring all of those producers together in one place, and uh, and then uh, it meant for the consumers that can come and find products from all across the country, all different kinds. Of, uh, of food, whether it was kind of cheese or chocolate or chutney, and then they could buy from lots of different producers just kind of with one payment. Cheese, chocolate, um, chutney, that's like the trifecta of artisan food, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. and uh, it, it was one of those things that just kind of starts out as an idea, and then... I made every single mistake in the book, right? So I, you know, I uh, I gave away half of my business to someone that I had never met in exchange for helping me build the website because I wasn't technical, and you know, and all of these kind of um, mistakes it took nine months for me to get uh, it from being an idea to actually launching something and, and get it out there for people to use. And um, but then I actually I applied for and was accepted onto um, one of the UK's very first accelerator programs called the Difference Engine. It was in the northeast of England. Uh, it was run by a chap called uh, John Bradford, who uh, actually is is one of the founders of uh, of all My Baths as well. And um, that's nearly 10 years ago now. And uh, uh, that, that process really helped me realise all of the mistakes that I've made so far, helped me rectify most of them and actually helped me turn it into something that was going to be a, a kind of reasonable business and helped me then to raise some investment and... Figure out how to hire people, and and um, and that was really kind of transformative for me. And actually, one of the most powerful bits of being on that accelerator was I was suddenly surrounded by all these other fantastic founders right. who were passionate about building a business, who had different skills and experience and network, and and I could share that with them, and and that was amazing. That was really really powerful for me. And so I just became a, a sort of at that point a big believer in. Um, both the, the kind of the power of community and being around other like-minded mm-hmm. people doing similar things, but also in, um, in the ability actually to, to teach this. I kind of always assumed that you are either sort of an entrepreneur or you or weren't, you, weren't, uh, you know, yeah, and, right. and actually go, no, you, you can learn this stuff. Everyone starts out as a beginner. Everyone makes mistakes. Um, but you, you can learn things faster if you, if you go and talk to people who've been there and who've done it. And yeah. actually one of the great things about the technology industry in, in general is everyone's really approachable everyone's because it's quite a new industry everyone's really willing to share what they've they've learned along the way and, mm. and take the time out to help the next generation
0: so um you, you, how did you go then from from this business to ignite i mean what was there? was there is there, a, so, there a chunk of career missing there or? It,
1: it was actually it was a it was quite a sort of natural transition so um uh, after the Difference Engine had uh, finished, John Bradford uh, was launching a couple of other accelerator programs. One of which was Ignite, and he was uh, he was doing that with a good friend of mine called Paul Smith. And I'd raised some money for my company, and um, uh, Paul said, "Do you want to be an entrepreneur in residence for this new Ignite program? Basically, we'll give you a subsidised office in the accelerator space, so you can run your business from there. But in exchange, a few hours a week, just be available, help out the, the teams on the accelerator." And um, it was it was fantastic because uh, I was in a really sort of high energy environment surrounded by lots of other great founders, but also I could share some of the learnings that, that I'd already had over my first kind of year of business or, or first 18 months about raising investment and hiring people and uh, I was able to kind of pass that on. And so then... Because uh, I guess
0: it can be a fairly lonely place being the founder of the, uh, on, on your own, so getting into yeah. that environment must have been
1: probably quite um, energising for you. It, it really was. I, the first nine months of my business, I spent working out of um, a small kind of council-provided uh, enterprise centre where I had a sort of 200-square-foot office to myself and it was in a building full of other people, but there was never any crossover or communication or anything with, with the people in that environment. And uh, so you would get in in the morning and you would sit there and you would pop out and get your lunch and then you would come back. And, and there was just never an opportunity to, to meet anyone else. And it was, as you say, it was a really lonely experience. And, and being a founder is is hard. It, it's an emotional rollercoaster. The highs are very high, but the lows are, are really, really low. Mm. And so for me, you know, the opportunity to actually be around a load of, of like-minded people was was absolutely fantastic. And so after a, a kind of a couple of years of, of doing that and the first couple of programs of, uh, of Ignite, um, there was a natural opportunity where uh, we'd sold part of our, our business, which was um, uh, the Larder box to one of our competitors. And Paul kind of said, look, you know, would you be interested in coming and joining Ignite full time? and We were looking at opening up a a co-working space, expanding the programs that, that Ignite was kind of running, and I was really excited about the opportunity to to build on what I'd kind of already been doing, and again, sort of share that that learning and. And help entrepreneurs avoid the mistakes that, that I'd made, um, and hopefully help them build some some really good businesses along the way.
0: And any particular reason that, that was in the northeast? You just happened to be in the northeast, or is it a- No, I well,
1: I, I was based in the northeast at, at the time, and um, and actually Newcastle had a, a sort of really strong nascent uh, technology scene. John Bradford was a fund manager there, which is why he had kind of set up this first accelerator, and um, there. And so there was just a bit of a perfect storm between having some some really good founders. We obviously had uh, businesses like Sage, which had been a, a, a you know at the time it was the only software company on the FTSE one hundred, which was founded and headquartered in, in Newcastle. So we had sort of legacy of that, and uh, and so that was just a good kind of opportunity for us actually to to build on that and, and build this kind of technology community around that. And then kind of one of the next things we realised is. This was this was true kind of across the UK. You know, I think everyone when they think of the UK tech scene always thinks of, of kind of London. And, yeah, of and course. We, we very quickly realised that actually the UK tech scene is is a, a whole network of clusters um, across the regions, and yet all of the resources and all the focus was on on London. And so we we kind of were very keen to take what we had learnt building a, a, a kind of cluster and a community in in the northeast of England, and actually see how we could sort of then expand that out into into other regions of the UK such as Belfast such as such as Belfast so um, we actually have been trying to come here and, and run a program since uh, since 2014 and uh, so you know various sort of unsuccessful attempts and then we were really fortunate uh, last year 2017 to um, have the opportunity to work with Invest NI and All My Baths to to kind of launch the uh, Propel Pre Accelerator and, and the Ignite uh, Accelerator here, and I've got to admit it's it's just far exceeded all of our expectations in terms of the the quality of the uh, technology ecosystem here, the quality of the companies that that have been able to join the program, and also support that we've kind of been given by the, the wider community, which is absolutely kind of fantastic. So. Yeah, seems like a, a good start so far. Good stuff. Um, t- for those who are not familiar with um, either Propel or, or,
0: or the um, Ignite NI Accelerator, who are they for? I mean, uh, if there's people
1: out there kind of thinking, well, I might have something. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So um, Propel is a, is a pre-accelerator program. So what that normally means is someone's got an idea. Um, so that could be an idea for a website or an app. It could be someone who's developed some really interesting uh, technology or some, some IP, some intellectual property, really anything that's kind of that's, that's knowledge based and um, uh, and we then uh, help people over six months to get a 15,000 pound grant from investNI and over six months being in the uh, in the co-working space here. And through a lot of mentoring and workshops, we'll hopefully help them develop that idea into something that's actually kind of ready to take out to market, get their first customers on board and start thinking about potentially sort of raising investment from there. So the 20 companies that uh, that joined us this year range from people who, who really were just at an idea stage through to people who already had some customers and had some money kind of coming in. But but still had quite a long way to go in terms of figuring out if this was something that could be a, a scalable business long term and then, after the first six months of the program, they also then get another six months of free office space here in the baths and so there's effectively a sort of a, a year of incubation and support and uh, the opportunities to be around a lot of really like minded individuals and um, and I think for for kind of everyone that before they came in, they tended to be sort of working on this uh, either on their own or or sort of um, maybe meeting up in a cafe once a week or something if right. they a part of a team. And so I think for everyone, it's been a real uh, shift for them, a really positive shift, actually, to be able to kind of dedicate themselves to this full time and, and be sat at a, a desk and in an office full of, of people doing the same kind of thing. Sure.
0: So, I, I mean, I guess we talked earlier there that they're all very different. The ideas yep. are different. The stages there are different. I guess the, the common theme is that... Uh, Sc- Scalable was the word you used that this could be you know your idea your business could be something that could could have the opportunity to scale up. I mean, is there anything over the the last uh, however many years? You know, I think you've run 14, 15 accelerators yeah. uh, uh, in uh, different stages. Is there any sort of lessons from those or, or experiences that I guess the, the um, could encourage those guys
1: as to you know people who've, who've done really well? Yeah, off the back of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Like you say, we've run a lot of programs. I think uh, we've now uh, invested in uh, 150 companies across all of our all of our different programs, um, and uh, and there's some that that have done really really sort of well. Um, and so I guess a, a kind of recent example is a team of three developers that uh, that we invested in in Newcastle a few years ago, who had an idea for a very sort of technical product that would help people build better. Um, e-commerce sites and this was really sort of aimed at enterprise and, and big customers and just didn't know kind of where to, to start with with that and mm-hmm. then after sort of going through the program they were able to raise some investment and then that enabled them actually to go out to the US and they raised some more investment from there and they recently just closed uh, a 10 million dollar uh, Series A from one of the, the US's uh, kind of top um, uh, software venture capitalist investors and, uh, and they're now sort of growing an international business and, and, and doing really, really well. And that's, that's fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm so proud of, of companies like that. At the same time, there's also lots of businesses who, you know, you might not see in, uh, in headlines, um, uh, kind of in TechCrunch, but are really busy building strong scalable businesses, but they're just doing it in a more kind of organic approach. So these are companies that, uh, you know, might be 10, 15, 20 people and uh, are growing at a, a really kind of good, solid Right, mm. um, and they're just they're just focused on doing something that's solving a problem for for one of their their customers.
0: That's a real key theme for you guys, isn't it? What what, pro- what problem is your business solving? That's the that's something that comes comes around it again and again.
1: I think I think it's the um, the key to building a successful business is to be able to define the problem that you are solving. I think that pretty much all uh, entrepreneurs founders the first time around get very focused on an idea, the solution. And, and I've obviously been guilty of this as well. The light bulb moment, something goes off in your head, you're, you're, you're facing a, um, you see a problem and you come up with a solution straight away. And yet I think the the lesson I've learned from, from all of the companies that we've worked with and, and the mentors as well uh, along the way is that um, there are so many different solutions to any particular problem. And, and so the most important thing before you decide what the solution is, is actually to identify what the problem is, and, and to be really convinced that there is a real problem there, a problem there that is enough that someone's going to pay some money for it, that they're going to change their behaviour mm. for, and then once you figure that out, there's an actually, awful lot
0: of businesses, I guess, who solve a problem that doesn't exist. Yeah, and and, and t- then they find that out a couple of years down the line, and yeah,
1: and and, and actually, you know, it's something that that I've experienced uh, myself as well. You know, kind of where we started out with the the idea for the online farmers market, it felt like a, a very natural sort of problem to solve, but it wasn't one that that consumers were really worried about they weren't kind of going around online going i just can't find artisan food online they loved buying it in in markets but they really weren't spending a lot of time online looking for it so finding it wasn't a problem that sort
0: of need for chutney wasn't really uh, you know it wasn't they they weren't up
1: at two o'clock in the morning sort (laughs) of like struggling to to find this online and and so, um, and so, when I say kind of like we made every mistake in the book, you know, that that was the most core cool one. We spent pro- best part of eighteen months building a product that that wasn't solving a problem for for the end user. And so, actually, that's why we sort of moved into the subscription box because when we talked to our customers, we found that they all really wanted to be the kind of person that that um, bought more artisan food. They really wanted to explore different producers and and have interesting things in their cupboard, not just products from the supermarket, but they weren't thinking about this on a regular basis. So actually giving them something that they could um, pay for on a regular basis, a subscription box, that each month would turn up without them having to think about it and contain lots of really interesting products, recipes to use it for, the stories behind all of these products. Actually, that was something that they were really keen on. And so having spent two years really struggling to get users for our kind of our core product, we launched this and, and it just skyrocketed in the first few months. And suddenly, you know, all these magazines and newspapers not just in the UK, but people like Washington Post and US Vogue and things were, were covering this because it was, it was something totally new and, and it really sort of um, scratched niche for, for people. And I just suddenly kind of could see the difference between when you're not solving a problem for someone, you will always struggle to, kind of to, to get customers. And it, it doesn't mean that you have to think of something completely new. You just need to approach it in a slightly different way and suddenly it becomes a lot easier.
0: Every startup's different, but there must be some really common challenges. You talked about that idea of solving the, finding, finding a problem that needs solving, but there must be some common issues that, that come up. What are the top sort of two or three challenges that startups always come to you with?
1: I think every company uh, worries too much about getting everything perfect before they before they launch. There's there's a huge amount of um, of pride involved in, in putting yourself out there and, and launching something, especially when you know friends and family and everyone else is going to see it. And you, you have this kind of feeling of or I've, I've put, put money into it, or I've or put money into it, indeed. And and but you have that feeling of I have one shot at this, and mm. if I don't get it right the first time, well then then that's it. And actually, I think it takes a, a while for people to to realize that. Pretty much all products have changed and developed over over time. Actually, the biggest problem that most people find is when they first launch. No one really cares. You know, there's no <laughs> one there to, to to kind of like be watching or judging or, or anything else. And um, and so the most important thing actually is to to get something out there and see if it's what people want. If it is solving a problem, if it's the right kind of approach to the whole thing. And and actually being able to build on that feedback from real people allows you to move a whole lot quicker.
0: Is there any piece of, um, I guess, sort of universal advice you, you you give to anyone just about, I suppose, generally approaching being a person who has their own business or
1: who's founding, who's launching? Yeah. My kind of favourite bit of advice is uh, to go and talk to people about your idea. I think there's a real reluctance from most people about um, talking about your idea either in a sort of public forum or even kind of talking to people that you don't know that well because it's such a great idea. You know, they'll they'll run off, they'll take or it or. Steal it. Yeah, absolutely. And yet, um, I've, I've not yet seen the companies that have been killed by someone stealing the idea. I've seen all the companies that have been killed by the fact that people just kept it so close to their chest and, and never actually let it go, never let it get out there. And so it's really kind of counterintuitive, I think, for most people, but going out there and telling people about your idea and going and talking to potential customers mm-hmm. and asking mm-hmm. them about it and asking them about the problems that they face and would this help with it. Actually, is the most is the most powerful thing you can you can do because till you've done that you you can't decide what it is you're going to build you can't take that first step or if you do you probably end up wasting two years of your life as
0: I did. <laughs> well, as a lot of uh, very successful founders have done at some stage, but as you say, you might as well know that lesson in the first place. Yeah, yeah. You've described Ignite as being a bit of an outsider in the tech industry. Um, what do you what did you mean by that? Is that
1: anyone? Is there anything behind that? I I think that because of where Ignite came from, being uh, very much a, a sort of a regional player, really, really the first kind of regional um, uh, accelerator or um, uh, early stage investor. Actually, it was um, we had a very different kind of attitude to all of this. You know, London's always had a lot of money; uh, it's always had a huge amount of kind of talent flowing through. Whereas. Knight grew up very much in a place where, where both money and talent and deal flow was, was very scarce. And so I think that meant that we had a different sort of attitude to it. We've got um, an approach which is very much about supporting founders to build the kind of businesses that they want to build. And we want to build companies which are going to be uh, valuable and successful uh, long term, not just kind of a flash in the pan. And I think sometimes that's kind of, that's clashed a little bit with uh, maybe some of the more sort of conventional approaches mm. to to investing. Um, but I think, you know, when I look at the at the, the family of founders uh, that we've worked with over the last few years, I'm just I'm really very uh, proud when I sort of look at them and, and the type of people that, that they embody. And it's a really diverse group of founders as well, um, not just in terms of where they come from in the UK, because they've come from all over the world. We've got founders from Costa Rica and Ukraine and Malaysia who've all kind of come here to, to right. build their businesses because of Ignite. Um, but also in the fact that they come from all kinds of different backgrounds, they're all kinds of different ages. Yeah. You don't think that to be a successful tech founder, you have to be, you know, straight out of university, computer science graduate, and, and you know, you're, you're going to be the yeah. next kind of Mark Zuckerberg. Actually, we're really interested in founders who maybe have a little bit of uh, life experience. Yeah. They've, they've, they've been working in an the industry. They've identified a problem. Um, and and they've got that kind of patience mm-hmm. to, to take the time to build a, a successful mm-hmm. company.
0: You've been very di- diplomatic, I guess, about other parts of the tech industry, the places maybe we think more traditionally of that. I mean, I picked that quote out from one of your blogs, which sort of was talking about the need for tech to be a bit more progressive um particularly where women are concerned
1: is that um something you think th- there's still a lot of work to be done in? There's, there's a huge amount of work to be done and i, and I did write that post because actually i looked at, at the way that we had structured our accelerator programs and realized that uh just the very um the, the structure of the programs was excluding a large range of people if you are um uh, mother of three school-age children You are not going to be able to uh, move across the country for three months to join in an accelerator program, or you're very unlikely to be able to. And um, and yet we've had a number of fathers of kind of three school (laughs) age children who've who've gone and done that because they had a very kind of supportive spouse. Now I realised that actually you know one of the challenges there was. Um, the, the way that we ask people to behave or to engage with with the accelerator programs. And so we, we designed a, a new type of uh, accelerator, which was a distributed program, which combined a lot of uh, remote sort of mentoring and workshops done through video conferencing with bringing people together once a month for a couple of days of in-person workshops, mentoring, networking. And, uh, and, and you know, we almost immediately saw a, a, a very significant kind of change in um, the statistics and uh, for, for the kind of the founder makeup over that first kind of program of the new distributed accelerator. Right. And I, I'm really very, very kind of proud of that. But I still think there's more that can be done. And, and we are still only one very small part of a very big still ecosystem. Proportionally, as, I guess, as well. there's still a very small number of women founders or
0: women working in senior positions in tech? There,
1: there are. And, and you know, I think the, the great thing is that this is a conversation which is uh, happening a lot more frequently yeah. now. So there's a lot more awareness of it. Um, there's been a lot of really good work uh, about trying to actually avoid unconscious bias at the points at which people are building companies mm. um, and just thinking about how, how the decisions they make in terms of the culture that they create when they are two or three people what the knock-on effects of those can be when they are 20 30 or 200 or 300 people mm. and so um i think it's going to take quite a long time for some of these changes to kind of to to work their way through but hopefully that's something that's uh we're going to start seeing the impact
0: of in in the next few years looking looking at what's coming down the line whether it's two years five years sometime into the future what excites you about the tech sector
1: i think uh what really excites me in technology is how it's going to change um the way that we the way that we fundamentally sort of live our lives as we as we get older you know um, i'm father of of kind of two young children and i'm thinking okay that the world that they grow up in will be very different but the world that i age in will be very different as well and so i'm really interested in in actually kind of how technology is going to change that Um, social exclusions a really big problem for people as they age what are the what are the platforms and tools that can maybe help with some of that we 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 are living in a world now where um, the 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 kind of tradition of having one job with a company pension and Mm. you retire at 60 is is long gone you know we're talking sort of gig workers and multiple careers uh, perhaps not having uh, home ownership so whether it's it's kind of health or finances or, or kind of the, the, the social side of it, I think it's a really interesting kind of challenge. And I guess one of the things I'd love to see is some of the really smart minds who are attracted to the world of technology being interested in how they can build businesses that are beyond just profit, that have a purpose which, the social which, which have a social impact, which, which yeah. fundamentally are, are hopefully going to change the world for better, not just I don't know, add a add a, a couple of cents to a to an advertiser's bottom line mm. by improving conversion rates or something. So, so that's what I'm kind of really interested in seeing. Who hey, or or what would you say has been the biggest influence on, on your career and what you've done? I've got to say that that probably sort of the biggest influence for me is uh, is my dad who um after being sort of an electrical engineer for uh, for sort of most of his life uh, invented some quite clever bits of, of kind of electrical equipment and sold it for you know a reasonable chunk of money and and uh, and sort of took that step into being an entrepreneur when he was sort of in his forties and um, and that sort of that creativity uh and that approach to problem solving that I saw him have is something that, that I'm kind of I'm, I'm constantly sort of inspired by and I think very much has, has built my kind of nature. Um, and then in the sort of, in the business world, um, actually, uh, so for far away from kind of technology, but, but a really great business founder is uh, Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, who um, has built a multi-billion dollar business that he's never taken any investment into that uh, actively encourages people not to buy their products anymore <laughs> because they want to, to they want to avoid uh, the damage to the environment yeah. and it also uses their ability as a large sort of brand to uh, to lobby for um, for changes and, and they've been very very kind of socially progressive in terms of the way that they uh, looked after their workforce and, and the way that they sort of approached way that people would build careers. They really wanted to build kind of loyalty. So this wasn't a company that was being built with the ambition of uh, selling to uh, a, a private equity firm in 10 years. They, you know, They're building a company that they're going, well, how do we make sure it's here in 100 years? Time? Yeah. Does that mean we actually need to to slow down our growth? And so I think people often confuse that with lack of ambition. And I think that's that's completely wrong. Actually, it's, it's far more ambitious to say, we want to build a company that's going to be here in 100 years time it's just that we're going to do it take a slightly different route to kind of get there and, and, and that's something that i really really admire i
0: think that'll resonate with uh, plenty of people around the ormond baths as well tristan thanks very much for your time pleasure thanks simon